Now we'll turn to God's word again and hear him speak to us out of Psalm chapter 63. This is a beautiful, beautiful psalm. And uh, my wife is detained at the moment downstairs. I didn't think through this uh, quite enough this morning when I printed off the bulletins. She's uh, going to be downstairs sort of helping out with the potato bar and getting all that stuff ready. So she's not up here with us at the moment. So I'm just going to read the text for us. Okay, this is Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult for the mouths of liars will be stopped. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Let's pray as we come before God and hear from him through his word. Lord, we just ask your help now to hear what you have to say to us, Lord, and to appropriate it, not to, to just be hearers only, but that we would be doers and live out what you call us to. Lord, as we hear the word spoken and interpreted, God, I pray that Holy Spirit, you would come and and help our hearts to to do and to feel the things you long for us to do and feel. Work within us that good work that you've started and you've promised to bring to completion until the day of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, in my office, I probably have two dozen, maybe more, books on prayer. We'll be talking about prayer again this morning as we have the last couple of weeks. These books talk about the importance of prayer. They talk about technique in prayer. Theology prayer. Stories of famous prayer warriors and prayers throughout Christian history. Some of them wrestle with the reality of unanswered prayers and everything in between. A lot of ink has been spilled on this topic. But this morning, I want to ask, what is the most important aspect of prayer? What is most important when we pray? In the previous couple of weeks, we've thought about how we must continue praying and persist and never give up in prayer. And we've looked at some of the reasons that our prayers often go off the rails or malfunction. This week, 
We'll take a look at the most important aspect of our prayers without doubt. The peace that holds all of the other pieces together. The peace that makes prayer what it is. Prayer. This part of prayer has been implied everywhere in the previous several weeks and hinted at here and there. It may be mentioned, but, may, but not fully addressed explicitly. That most critical piece in prayer is the object of our prayers. The one to whom we are praying. We must never forget him when we pray. Imagine going out to dinner with your closest friend and you get to the restaurant and you both just browse through your phones the entire meal and spend little of your time actually enjoying each other, talking or catching up. At the end of the day, you just go back to your normal routine. Some time ago, there was a funny video going around on social media of a young man who came out of the bathroom at a restaurant looking at his phone. He was so enthralled with what was on his device, whatever he was he was looking at, that he sat at the wrong table with a complete stranger. And he sat there for a while. The stranger didn't say anything, just kind of smiling, looking at him. Finally, the young person, the young man realized what he had done and Stranger again, just let him sit there. And they had kind of a chuckle after the fact about what had happened. It was quite hilarious. But for many, this is basically how we pray. We're so consumed with something else, with our problem or our situation or whatever is on our hearts that we don't even notice the one we're sitting with. We completely miss God in our praying. Richard Pratt, in his excellent book pray with your eyes open speaks to this struggle in prayer one would think that as we pray god would be in view but sadly he says and no doubt many of us experience this in our own prayers we struggle with this don't we but he writes this quote this neglect of god reveals a basic misunderstanding about prayer we often treat prayer like a spiritual shopping list or like we talked about a couple of weeks ago right uh, domestic intercom just for whatever we might want or need get me a beer from the other room kind of thing he goes on we walk into god's general store give a perfunctory nod in his direction perfunctory means like a half-hearted or just little effort kind of thing and then we proceed to the real reason we came the grocery list we spend the bulk of our time listing one request after another, and God himself takes second place. In fact, this habit of ignoring God suggests that we would prefer to find him absent from the store so that we would not have to even bother with him at all. How easy it is to forget that we are dealing with a divine person, not a heavenly mail order catalog. When we focus too much on what we need, we are bound to neglect the one whom we need. End quote. Looking at Psalm 63, we quickly can see that David has not forgotten God in his prayers. In fact, from what we read in the psalm before us today, it appears that David's primary reason in going to God is to look upon God, to have an encounter with him. To enjoy Him. To recognize Him in the midst of His struggle. 
Look there right at the first few verses. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land. I've looked upon you in the sanctuary. Beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. You see David focused upon God in his prayers. Here in this beautiful psalm. God is the main thing in David's mind. David prays because he knows God. And it is a response to who he is. So this is the big idea I want to try and convey to us this morning. Because prayer is an encounter with God. We should always remember him when we are praying. It's really simple. We're having an encounter with God when we pray. We must remember whom we are encountering in our prayers. Tim Keller says this in his excellent book on prayer. Quote, to fail to pray then is not merely to break some religious rule. It's a failure to treat God as God. End quote. In prayer, we're having a conversation with God, but we are also encountering him coming before a person. There's nothing about prayer greater than the one we pray to. He is the great object, the great goal, the greatest benefit of prayer. Prayer is amazing and life altering and like nothing else because it is an encounter with the one we were made for God himself. And this is precisely what we see in this prayer of David's this morning. So let's look at point number one. Because prayer is an encounter with an all-satisfying God, we should always remember Him when we are praying. So prayer is not just an encounter with God, it's, a, it's an encounter with an all-satisfying God. We must remember this when we come to pray. Listen to the way David prays again in verses 1 through 4. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. And he goes on. But a couple of quick observations about this. These few sentences there. What kind of of thirst does David speak of in those verses? He speaks of his soul thirsting, right? And then also it appears there's some physical thirst going on. So he's physically thirsty, but he's also inwardly, spiritually longing for God. Well, what exactly is going on here in this psalm? Well, if you have your Bible open, you'll notice in most translations have uh, some kind of heading uh, to the psalm. And you can see it just above uh, verse 1 there. It says that this psalm recounts a time when David was in the wilderness of Judah. Many believe this uh, is one of the events recorded in First or Second Samuel when David is um, basically a fugitive on the run from King Saul in one case and his son Absalom uh, in another case. And there's debate about which one of those events he's referring to but that being said we can imagine that david being in the wilderness on the run for, for his life is 
very thirsty, right? He's very thirsty. He's in a very dry and arid Judean wilderness. No doubt this is what he's referring to when he says in a dry and weary land where there is no water. He's out in the physical wilderness on the run hiding. And he's also weary from being on the run from his enemies. So David is both physically thirsty and spiritually thirsty. He's in a desperate place in this moment. So what does he do? He seeks the Lord in prayer, right? Perhaps the first response we should all have when we're in a pickle, when we're in a tough spot. This should be our our gut reaction. Of course, we should pray without ceasing and pray throughout the day, but most especially when we are struggling. Come before God, and he does that. Yet he doesn't just immediately make requests or demands of God. He remembers who God is in his prayer. You are my God, and it is you that I long for, David says. From the information we have here, it appears that David doesn't even bother with asking God to provide him with water to drink. If I'm honest, and I'm in David's position, that's probably the first thing out of my mouth. Lord, I'm thirsty. Can I get some water? Some real water, right? That would be great. But David goes deeper. David seems to suggest to us here, or what we see at least in the passage here, that his deepest need, he is saying, is not physical. Those, those needs are very real and very important. His deepest need is something that can't be tasted or touched with the hands. His deepest need is an encounter with God. In verse 2, he recalls, other encounters with the Lord that he's had in the past. He says, in a world that's empty, pale, poor, dry, weary, you are my life and my satisfaction, God. In verse 3, he goes even as far to say that knowing the love of God is greater than life itself. Did you see that? Did you pick up on that in verse 3? David says this as a fugitive on the run, Perhaps to be caught and killed any day. So this is not an armchair comment, you know, kicked back with his drink in hand. Yeah, the Lord's love is great. Better than life even. No, he's literally on the run when he says this. He's saying, I have God. God is all I need. Even if I die, I am content in knowing this great God. If we think of prayer as a meal with God... When you sit down at the table, are you more interested in the food or in the person sitting across the table from you? Here in Psalm 63, David does not seek a glass of water. He says, oh, God, you are my God. I seek you, Lord. I need you more than I need a drink. Let us remember that God is the truly satisfying one when we pray. And that's point number one. Now for our next point that rolls out of Psalm 63. Point number two. Because prayer is an encounter with an all-satisfying God, it's also an encounter with a faithful God. And we should always remember Him when we are praying. Because prayer is an encounter with a faithful God. We should always remember Him when we are praying. In other words, when we come to God in prayer, we come with 
confidence because God is faithful and because we know his deliverance as believers, as those of us here who are followers of Jesus. We know his deliverance. We know what he's done for us. We know how he's rescued us. So we come with confidence knowing what he's done for us in the past and that he can do it again. Listen to David's prayer in verses five through eight now. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. There it is. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. This is the prayer of someone who has experienced God acting on his behalf. And he comes with confidence. Though he's in a predicament, he prays with confidence. It's amazing. How can David pray this way when he's being hotly pursued by an enemy? And I think it's because what we see here is that David's thoughts are fixed upon God. Verse 6 says that David remembers the Lord while laying in bed and thinks about God during the nighttime hours. You ever wake up in the middle of the night with something on your mind? Just pop right up out of bed? My guess is we've all had an experience like that or two or three or a hundred maybe, right? Usually it's something distressing. Something that's a you know, concern to us. It's a problem. We don't know what to do about it. Something that's burdening us greatly. No doubt David had those moments as well. But we, what we see here is a man who's pondering his God in the night, even in the midst of great trouble. It's God that David's mind is fill, filled with. David's not popping up on his bed in the night, uh, having a, a big night sweat, thinking about the death that he might die at the hands of his pursuers. He's thinking about God. Have you ever popped up in the night with God on your heart? David has. He is waking up thinking about God. David's prayers even, we see here, are shaped by God. Because he has not forgotten him. In fact, God is foremost in David's mind here. He's confident because he remembers God and what he has done for him. In the past. When we come into God's presence, we too should remember his faithfulness towards us as well. And this leads us to point number three. Point number three, because prayer is an encounter with a holy God, we should always remember him when we are praying. We've seen that prayer is an encounter with an all satisfying God. And an encounter with a faithful God. And now we're going to see prayer is an encounter with a holy God. Look at verses 9 through 11 now with me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. David knows. This section here is evidence of the fact that David knows something. He knows his God is holy. He knows that his God is unlike us. Right? He is 
righteous. He is good. He is just. God always does what is right. He will leave leave no evil deed unpunished. He will rectify every wrong thing. Here in this prayer, this fact gives David confidence. It comforts him to know that God will deal with his enemies. God will help him. And God will deal with all the wrongs. Yet, in other Psalms, we also see David recognizing that he is an evildoer. That he is a liar. That he is a murderer. That he is the one who deserves to go down into the depths of the earth. In Psalm 51, he says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David sees his sins were not merely against people, but against God. When we sin against, sin against God's image bearers, we're sinning against the one whose image they bear, God. And his enemy's sins here also were ultimately against God too. David says in that psalm, my sin is ever before me. David knew God was holy and he knew that God was not only aware of his outward actions, but also his heart. God saw his heart. In that same psalm, David prays these words, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. A clean heart. David longed for. He knew it wasn't clean. He said, God, help me cleanse my heart. You see it. David knew that he saw that God saw even his heart and that what he saw was not clean and good and right. And this was ever before him. Yeah, maybe my outward actions, I can conform, right? I can do what's right outwardly. But God, you know my thoughts. And whenever we, like David, come before God in prayer the same thought should pass our minds. We are before, yes, an all-satisfying God. Yes, a merciful God. Yes, a loving God. Yes, a faithful God. But He's also holy and righteous and just. How do we sinners presume to come into the presence of a holy God? How dare we presume to be heard by the King of Kings? Who are we to demand an audience with God Almighty? Who are we? How can God hear our prayers? Well, Tim Keller puts it this way in his excellent book on prayer. We know God will answer us sinners when we call because one terrible day he did not answer Jesus when he called. Jesus' prayers were given the rejection that we sinners earned and merited so that our prayers could have the reception that He merits. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the place where Jesus went to pray in the midst of His stunning betrayal, which we remembered in our celebrations of Good Friday and all of that just a few weeks ago, we remembered that Jesus was betrayed. This moment with his disciples. And in that moment, after that supper, Jesus went to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. And he poured out his heart before God. 
Jesus prayed. But God the Father did not receive his prayers that night. Philip Yancey puts it this way. As Jesus lay on the ground, his sweat falling like drops of blood, his prayers took on an uncharacteristic tone of pleading. He offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, Hebrews says. But of course, Jesus was not saved from death. End quote. Jesus pleaded with the Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, thy will be done. Why was Jesus not saved from death? Why was his prayer not heard and rejected that night? It was for our sakes that Jesus was not saved that night. Jesus was put to death so that everyone who puts their trust in him would not be put to death. And it is because of his sacrifice that you and I come in prayer to a holy God. Surely we should remember these things when we come before him in prayer. Should we not? The costliness of our access of being able to come and pray and lift up our burdens before God. Surely we should remember our Lord when we pray. Surely all of our prayers should have him in mind, should they not? At the end of the day, there is nothing more important in prayer than God himself. Jesus gave himself so that we could have God more than anything else. Let us remember all of these things when we pray. Amen. And let's do that now. Let's, let's go before God in prayer as we turn to the communion table. This place where we reenact, as it were, and remember the Lord's suffering on our behalf. Let's pray. Lord, we humble ourselves before you this morning as we remember all of these things, as we remember that you are the one our souls most long for. And earnestly we seek you this morning as we confess that, praying that you would come and satisfy our hearts. And we also remember times past when you have satisfied our hearts and our souls, our deepest longings. You have met us in those places. You are faithful. We remember that too. We also remember that you are holy and that we come only by the blood of Jesus. We enter in through his great sacrifice, through his rejection. We are accepted. And this great exchange happens where Christ takes upon himself all our garbage and our sin and our law-breaking and our curses and we take upon ourselves his faithfulness, his goodness, his perfect law keeping and his righteous, perfect, spotless robe. All of those we get in exchange for all that other mess. This we remember as we come to the table and we pray as we come to the table that you would remind us of all these things and be all that we need, that you would satisfy our deepest longings. And we would not look for life in places where there is none. That we would find it here in you. 
May this time be to us a time of strengthening and help and good things. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.